All right. Good morning. I am going to preach this morning in Jesus' name by the Holy Spirit. And I just wanted to share before I get started that a lot of this content is from a counselor that works with the Antioch Movement. His name is Silas West. And um, I hope passing it along is helpful to you. It was impactful to me, and I feel like it's a timely word for us as a people. And you've heard us talk a lot lately about how the church is God's plan A to reaching the world. That is not just our opinion because this is our profession. Uh, That is actually from the Bible. John 17 says, through the believers, the world will know him. Okay, so the church is a pretty important entity because we are wanting to see the world know Jesus, for Jesus to get his glory. And we've also said that in days like today, we need a strong church. We need a powerful church. We need an influential church. We need a church that actually makes a stinking difference, right? We need a church that people run to in times of need. We need a church that meets, um, heals as as a part of healing pain. This is what we are called for. And in order for us to be that, we have to stay connected to one another, right? The, the Bible says that the church is a body made up of many parts. And if one part isn't present, it makes it really difficult for the body to function. You lose a leg, you are going to have a harder time functioning, right? And so we must stay connected to one another, We must stay connected to the mission of God if we are going to be the kind of church that God has called us to be. And not just Antioch, but the church at large. And so this morning I want to talk about something that I think the enemy likes to use to weaken the church. The enemy wants to weaken the church. Did you know that? If the enemy can weaken the church, then the church will be ineffective in the world. And I think if you haven't turned on the news this week, I'll fill you in. What the enemy likes to do, especially amongst believers, is let offense creep into our lives. He uses offense to weaken the church, and he uses offense to disconnect us from one another, and that ultimately disconnects us from the mission of God. So if you're not sure if this applies to you, um, here's the dictionary definition of offense. Annoyance or resentment brought about by a perceived insult to or disregard for oneself or one's standards or principles. Annoyance or resentment brought about by perceived insult or disregard for oneself or disregard for one's standards or principles. So this is really important for us to understand about ourselves and about each other. And that what it's saying is that offense is always deeply connected to what we value, right? It's when our values feel violated that that either on a minor violation, an annoyance creeps in, or a major violation, that resentment, that, oh, I'm so offended, right? That is because it is hitting on our values. And because we're a body, we're all made up of, we're all play different parts. We all have different values, And some of that is because of our, some of that is good and right, and some of that is just the result. Some of it's good. It's the result of our God-given design, right? We've all been made differently with different passions. But some of it, maybe not is all right, but it is the result of how we were raised, our environment, our story. We are shaped by our lives, and that determines what we value. 
And so if you think about recently a time that you have felt either the annoyance of offense or the resentment of offense, if you'll just think for a second, you probably don't have to think too hard, a time where you felt offended. Okay, just ask yourself for a second, what was the value, my, the value that that was hitting on for me? Right, Blake and I lead this church together, and they sent out, someone sent out a text to the lead pastors, but they didn't text me. Okay, I, that, I was valuing the role that I play, the things I feel like God's called me to. I value people being included. I value these things, right? So that really hit uh, on that place in me. Okay, does that make sense? Raise your hand if you can see an offense in your life that was connected to a value. Okay, good. Right? It, and b- here's another way to say it. When someone speaks or acts in a way that is in conflict with what we expect and believe to be the right and appropriate behavior, we will feel offended. When someone speaks or acts in a way that is in conflict with what we expect and believe to be the right, appropriate behavior, we will feel offended. Right? So offense is stemming from our unmet value-based expectations. I expected you to behave consistently with who I thought you were. Like, that's that feeling of like, I can't believe you would do that. Right? I expected you to be a certain way right? Or I expected you to value what I value. Like, how can you not care about that, right? Like, you don't value this? That is just shocking to us. I expect you to treat me the same way I've treated you. I've wished you happy birthday every year, and you don't even remember when it's my birthday. I expect you to treat me the way I treated you. I value this, right? I expect you to treat me fairly and equally. I am a person. I want to be treated fairly and equally. Okay, so offense might sound like this. You think, what? They said, what? How could you? You voted for who? Right? That is some of what that is going to sound like. But here's what I want to make really clear. And we, this is hard for us, and you probably already thought I was saying something um, challenging. But the reality is that it is not wrong to be offended. It is not wrong to feel offended, right? It's, there is a pain that comes when what we value is violated that is painful. Just like it is not wrong to feel the pain of stubbing your toe, right? It doesn't feel good. And it's a natural response when our basic value system is being contradicted. And so I just want to let you all exhale. I think as believers, it can feel like you should never feel offended, ever. Just like, ah, it doesn't bother me. Nope, 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 right? But here's what I want to say. The scheme of the enemy is that when we feel offense, which is a natural response to being people of deep values, When we feel offense, the scheme of the enemy is he's going to tempt you to add judgment of others to your feeling of offense. He's going to tempt you to disconnect from others because of your feeling of offense. And when we add judgment and we add disconnection to the feeling of offense, Now we are partnering with the enemy and we're undermining the mission of God in our lives, okay? 
Because here's the deal. We are not the judge. We cannot do this. We have not been given permission to evaluate if others have it right or others have it wrong. And this is really hard because in your bones, you may know, I am right. I am right about this. This is black and white. There's no, I am right about this. And even if it is that clear, we still have not been given the permission to be the judge. And that is where we go from, if we're not careful in this place, that's where we go from feeling offended. That's not sin. That's not wrong. That's where we go from feeling offended to taking up an offense. When we take up an offense, we become the judge and we disconnect from those we are judging. Proverbs 18, 19 explains it like this. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. And so here's what I want to say. What we do with our offenses is the make or break for our lives. And more importantly, it is the make or break for the church to be who it's called to be. What we do with our offenses is the make or break for our own lives. And more importantly, it's the make or break for the church being who it's called to be. I want to look briefly at the life of David and tell the story of David and Saul. You'll maybe remember if you grew up in any sort of culturally Christian context that David beat Goliath. Yes. So David kills Goliath. And this was a huge victory talking about your book yeah when David kills Goliath yeah you know that babe that's right so David kills Goliath and Saul brings him into his into his what is it called palace yeah it brings him into his palace and as David's coming in everyone's rejoicing that David has defeated Goliath they say Saul has killed his thousands but David tens of thousands And so immediately jealousy enters into Saul's heart. He sees that David is getting more attention and more honor than he is. And he does not like this. And that begins a long story of Saul's hatred of David and Saul's determination to destroy David. And it ebbs and flows for Saul. Like he says, David, play your your harp for me. And while David's playing his harp, Saul just throws a spear at him and tries to kill him. And David's like, yo, dude. And then Saul says, whoever kills Goliath, I'll give my daughter to marry. But now it's David, and now Saul hates David. So Saul says, okay, I will send you, I'll give you my daughter after you go defeat the Philistines. So he sends him out into war, basically hoping he dies. And somehow he doesn't die. He comes back. He gets, he marries Saul's daughter. And then he's playing the harp again. Saul throws his sword at him again. Okay, so the guy is really offending David. Okay, David has every right to, uh, no, David has every right to be offended by Saul. David was very wronged. Okay, I'm 
I am condensing about 20 chapters of the Bible for you. But thank you. But I, um, so then Saul, David realizes that he's going to have to flee. He's going to get killed if he stays in the, in the palace. He has to get out of here. So then if you read a lot of the Psalms where David is like really desperate and dark, that is because Saul is after him trying to kill him again. Okay, so just imagine how you would be feeling if this had been a reoccurring theme in one of your relationships. All right, so I want to pick up in 1 Samuel, can I borrow your Bible? 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 14. So if you'll turn there, 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 14. Okay. You'll see that the heading is called David Spares Saul's Life. So David is hiding out, uh, fleeing from Saul. At the place where the road passes, this is verse 3, some sheepfold, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with you as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. If you'll skip to verse 12, David and Saul are now David says this to Saul, I could have just killed you. But he says, may the Lord judge between us. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me. But I will never harm you. So what I want to ask us is how did he go from, how did David endure being attacked and wronged and attempted to be murdered how did he go from dealing with that kind of offensiveness, right? Let's talk about our values. That kind of offensiveness, how did he go from experiencing that kind of wrong to being able to spare Saul's life and to be able to acknowledge, I am not the judge? How did he do this? And what I want us to know is he did not get to this place through just being a good old turn-the-other-cheek kind of guy. He, didn't, he was not able to do that because it was just the right thing to do. No. Here is David in Psalm 58. Oh, God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions. Let them vanish like waters that run away. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, may he sweep them away. Okay. He was offended, yeah? Yeah, I would think so. Okay, so David felt intensely the pain of having been wronged. He felt intensely the violation of his values, right? But what did he do? He did that before God. That psalm was an outpouring of his heart before God. 
How many times do we talk like that, but it's not to God, <laughs> right? Maybe it's in our minds over and over again, ruminating on what we wish we could say or our argument to combat that which has been done to us, right? But what did David do? He lamented the pain and the grief and the loss before God. And listen to where he landed. This is Psalm 57. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. Amen. This is the kind of freedom from offense that the church was made to put on display. This is the kind of freedom that God wants for each of our hearts. Not pleasant Christianity where we brush things to the side or just put on a happy face and pretend everything's good with one another while inside we have all this resentment and bitterness trying to stay down. Right? No, there is a freedom that comes when we, when we are willing to take the pain of offense and bring it before God in a real way. And here's what might be hard to understand is any place you're offended, there is going to be pain attached. And we do not like to tend to that. We like to just keep going. But offense is a way to avoid dealing with the impact of what we've experienced. But the freedom that comes from really feeling the pain and discomfort of offenses in in the presence of God, what we can do in that place is we can appeal to the character of God for what has been lost. Okay, and that is why there's so many names for God. Vindicator, comforter, restorer, healer, provider, empower, companion, one who sees, one who knows he gets it. He gets it. He sees. He understands. He knows your story. Even when we value something higher than we should, he sees why. He understands. He knows us. He cares. And he sees the pain. And where you're right, he will judge rightly. So you can trust him. He'll take care of it. He's going to do it. And where you're wrong, praise God. He's still going to judge rightly. And would we be like David? Would we be able to say, perhaps God is going to deal with you because of this? Perhaps he will. But I am not the judge. I will not be the one to take matters into my own hands by disconnecting, by focusing on other people and letting offense brew in my heart. What I love about all the Psalms is instead of ending with what was wrong with the world and what was wrong with people, what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with people, you've had any thoughts in those categories this week? David always ended about what was right about God. He always ended with what was right about God. And that is a humility that trusts God to be a righteous judge. I trust you. I trust you. You've not given me permission to be the judge. I trust you. And you know what? The great news about dealing with offense in this way 
is it doesn't even require the cooperation of others. It doesn't require the apology of others. It doesn't require the acknowledgement of others for your joy and your peace to be restored. And when we're offended, we so badly want to be understood. We so badly want an apology. We so badly want someone to be like, wow, I'm an idiot. You're right. I didn't see it that way. We want that so badly. But I want to say today, what's better is God. Knowing God, letting him meet you in your pain, that is going to actually feel better to you than an apology from man. I promise, even though it feels like you've been so wrong that the only way to fix it is for someone who did it to make it right. I know that it takes a humility and and it's discomfort to sit in that place and wait for God to meet you. But if we will do that, we will know God in an intimate, intimate way. He wants to provide to you the very thing that was taken from you. Whether that is big, whether that is small. Me not getting included on a text message, that's small, right? But that place of pain, God wants to meet me. Even if it's just five minutes of saying, God, that really hurt. I want, I want it to be included. God, he wants to meet me there. It's small, and maybe it's big for you. Maybe it's big the way some people voted. Maybe that communicates deep pain to you. That God wants to meet you there. He wants to be to you the righteous judge who heals hearts. And I do just want to say as I close that there is a place to challenge one another. There is a place to say, hey, I don't know if that was what the Bible calls us to, right? The scripture is very clear about exhorting one another, challenging one another, but it cannot come from an offended place. It can't come from a judgmental place because when we come to one another without having dealt with our offenses, with still holding a little bit of the seat of the judge, then we're actually not coming to one another in the way the Bible calls us to. We're coming because we still need something fixed inside. 2 Timothy 2.24 says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. That's a good memory verse for you for the week. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. If y'all stand with me, Blake, will you just play your guitar for a minute? Or turn on some music. I'm just going to pray. We're, we're ending now, but even just for two or three minutes, if you would be willing to think about what's been offending you lately. What's the thing that you keep revisiting? What's the argument you've been having with that person in your head? Would you just close your eyes if you're comfortable? Would you think about that? And would you be willing to deal with the pain of that? Would you be able to name it? This is why this is painful. This is what this was hitting on. This is what has been lost. I'm returning. And if you will do that before God, if you will lament the pain of those offenses and just really share that in an honest way, just like David did in Psalm 58, break the teeth in their mouths, O Lord. In our sacred space, 
And from that place, would you encounter who God wants to be to you in the midst of that? God, the righteous judge, who do you want to be to me in the midst of this pain? Because he wants to set us free. He wants to purify us. He wants us to be ready to lock arms with one another and to storm the gates of hell. He wants his church to be big and beautiful and powerful and influential. We have to learn to deal with the things that divide us so that we can do that. God, would you give us grace this morning to really deal with the discomfort, big and small, deep, deep pain that violates our very personhood. And in small pain, little offenses, that Song of Solomon says that little foxes get in the garden. And there's those little foxes bothering us. God, big and small, would you give us a grace this morning to be honest before you? And would you meet each person in this room? Lord, would there be a healing that comes from your presence? Who you want to be to us. We thank you, Lord.